The scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and it's on page 1053 in your pew Bibles. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to much wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It's an exciting time for us as a congregation as we will begin uh, collectively concentrating on prayer and scripture reading for the last 50 days of this year. Now, obviously, as a congregation and as individuals, we want to do this 365 days a year, but this time we'll focus on some things together. And after Uh, services this morning. Be sure in the foyer there will be brochures available that will have 50 passages that are either prayers that are recorded in the scriptures or passages that teach about prayer. Now if you've been doing this a few years, uh, do keep in mind that most of the scriptures have uh, been chosen as different texts last year. And so, uh, you know, if you're thinking, hey, I read those last year, which it wouldn't hurt us to read them again if it were the same ones, but it's not. And so be sure and do that. Also, there are cards uh, in the foyer on each end of the foyer and in the welcome center in the foyer. And they are cards that have 10 concerns on them. Uh, Every member and their families will be listed by name, our elders, our deacons, their ministries, aspects that have been submitted to us as prayer requests are included here, all of our missionaries, etc. We have tried in these cards and will try over the next 50 days to include every aspect of the life of this church. If you haven't turned in your prayer request yet, you have time. Uh, We'll be making these cards over the next several weeks and updating them. Uh, You can turn those in. There's yellow forms if you want to use those. If not, write it on any piece of paper and submit those at the Welcome Center. Now here's the plan if you'd like to participate in an organized fashion. There will be seven colors of cards by the time the seven weeks are complete. If you pick up a different color card each week, you will be guaranteed to have a different card each week. Now, odds are you can pick up the same color card and you wouldn't have the same card because there are so many cards. But if you just want to play it safe, pick up a different color card each week. Uh, We're asking you to pray this card three times. Uh, Morning, noon, and night, as the psalmist said. And then, just for interest's sake, if you'd like to sign the back of it when you turn this card back in, in other words, next Sunday, turn this card back in, Take a different color card. It encourages somebody else to be able to flip it over and see that others are praying for the same concerns that you're praying about. 
If you're the type that would like to exchange the cards more often, uh, I know I've seen some in past years even exchange them on Sunday and Wednesday night. Feel free to do that. We want to place an emphasis on prayer. The greatest compliment to this effort is when it's over, people saying, you know, studying the Bible every day and praying every day has really helped me grow stronger. We hope that this spiritual exercise helps each one of us grow as individuals. But also, don't forget, when we pray, we're petitioning the Almighty God and think of the good that can be done when an entire congregation petitions God about the same concerns. Also, uh, keep in mind that we will have an open house on 2nd Avenue. Uh, It's the two-story home on 2nd Avenue this afternoon from 3.30 to 4.30. If you would like to see some investments into the future as we're striving to expand the campus here, uh, you're invited to do that. And, of course, that time slot there makes it also available for deacons if they want to come a few minutes before the 4.30 meeting for the deacons and elders and ministers meeting. And uh, so if you'd like to see that and be a part of that, if you can't come by today, please continue to be supportive in your prayers and in every way that you can of this good work. It's exciting to think that as a congregation, we need more leaders. You know, this isn't something that just happens in the lives of modern day churches. Have you thought about the text that has just been so capably read to us? You see, this church, Timothy, working at Ephesus, was a church that we already know back in Acts, the 20th chapter, had tremendous leaders. As a matter of fact, when you see Paul thinking that he would never pass that way again, he called those leaders down from Ephesus and he talked with them and he begged them to be faithful and he laid heavy responsibilities upon them by the inspiration of God of what it is to be an elder. And then when he got ready to depart from them, they cried on each other's shoulders and they prayed together. Now, after a long imprisonment several years later, Paul had the advantage to pass back through Ephesus. He loved those people, having been with them for at least three years. Because, no doubt of his love for them, he decided to leave Timothy behind, that Timothy might be able to minister to them and and help them in whatever area of growth that was a concern at that time. He went on to Macedonia. Now, in a text that we're about to read here in 1 Timothy 3, it makes us believe that Paul must have thought that he would have been returning a little more quickly. Now, just David Shannon wondering here, I wonder if when he passed through and left Timothy behind, he must have noticed at that point, wow, things have really grown here. There's a lot more needs that need to be fulfilled. I tell you what, when I get back into town, we're going to appoint some more elders in that place. But yet he was detained in Macedonia. And if he was going to be detained very much longer, he wanted to make sure that Timothy knew what was expected of the church and the qualifications of elders. Now that text has been read, but I'd like for you, if you will, to look with me at verse 1, just to see the setting again, and drop down in 14 and 15, just so you'll see the point that we've just discussed. 1 Timothy 3 and 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the, the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now drop down to 14 and 15. And then he says, that These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground 
of truth. There was simply a way that the church was to conduct itself. There was a certain way that it was behave itself. And it needed leaders, but yet the church didn't have the right to go out and, and just to select whoever they might at the moment feels the most popular or whatever the emotional appeal at that particular time might be. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, son, here are qualifications that just must be met if a man's going to fill this office. Now, in a text that we didn't read, but beginning there in 8 and following, he does the same thing for those that would serve in the area of a deacon. And then he concludes those qualifications as we've just read by saying, this is the way the behavior of the church is going to be. You remember several weeks ago, I mentioned to you, if you're going to start your own church, you can do it any way you want to do it. But if we're going to be a part of the Lord's church, there's a certain conduct, there's a certain doctrine There's a certain behavior of God's people. The way salvation is taught. The worship of the church. The organization of the church. The moral and spiritual behavior of God's people. Friends, if we're going to be a part of the Lord's church, He's spoken about all of those things. And so, this morning, let's think about this beautiful topic of the organization of the Lord's church, especially as it pertains to elders. Brother Baxter says in his book, one of the most important factors in the growth of any organization is the quality of its leadership. A more modern day writer and speaker has said that everything rises and falls upon leadership. Now, when we think about this, It is so true. I'm asking you to think with me for just a moment, not short term, but think with me long term. You describe a congregation, and I assure you without exception, if that's the way that congregation is long term, you have just described their elders. For example, if you see a congregation and you say, you know what? That congregation is so evangelistic-minded. They reach out to their community. They love mission work. Without exception, you've just described the mindset of that eldership. That eldership will be evangelistic-minded. They will be mission-minded. They'll reach out to their community. If you see a congregation and you say, they really do teach the truth there. They really are dedicated to standing on the doctrine of Jesus Christ and what the apostles proclaimed. Without exception, you would have just described the eldership there. You see, there's no such thing long term of a congregation going one way and an eldership leading in another way. That just doesn't happen. And so when we think about not only who we are today, but when we think about the days and the years and even the generations to come, as we think about appointing More elders. Friends, it's just hard to find anything that we could say is more important. I beg you to think seriously about what we're going through. I beg you to study every passage that deals with this. I beg you to pray and to fast. I beg you to simply seek God's will as we go through this process together. 
Because the future of this church, in part, a great part, will be determined by our leaders. They have a heavy responsibility. They have a responsibility that is demanding in hours. It can be stressful. The sacrifices that they make, I doubt anyone really knows what they go through unless they're an elder or perhaps an elder's wife or family. Let's approach this as God would have us to. Now, as we think about this, I'd like for you to think with me in Acts 20, chapter 28, very quickly. In Acts 20 and 28, this is the passage where Paul was speaking to those elders of Ephesus, verse 17. And notice verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to the elders there of Ephesus. And he says to those elders, it's the Holy Spirit that made you overseers. And now, years later, he's writing to Timothy and he says... I want more overseers to be made there. But how are they going to be made? Hopefully by the same way. And hopefully today we'll make elders by the same way. And that is, let's allow the Holy Spirit to make overseers in this place. Now wait a minute, are you talking about some kind of miraculous movement? Are you talking about some kind of miraculous intervention by God? Are you talking about some kind of casting of lots? No. We're talking about submitting to God in everything. This is God's position. This is God's responsibility. These that we will study are God's qualifications for the men that would fulfill this. If you would, go with me now back to the text of 1 Timothy, the third chapter. In 1 Timothy, the third chapter, I'd like for you to notice with me verse 1 again. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. What is the man desiring here? Now, there's always kind of a, a splitting of hairs here, a technicality when someone says, desire is the first qualification listed. Well, it's not the first one listed after he says that a man must. But it is interesting to note that it is something that is a proverb that was being said. Keep in mind, they'd had elders for several years. And keep in mind, as this starts, it says, this is a faithful saying. In other words, there was a proverb, there was a saying that people were saying, hey, if you desire the office of a bishop, if you desire the position of a bishop, you desire a good work. What's being desired? Position? Not that alone. And it's really dangerous if that were the case. Self-empowerment? No, not at all. What's being desired is a work. You know, we just mentioned the fact that being an elder takes a lot of sacrifice. We need to stop and think before we submit anyone's name as a suggestion for an elder whether or not they've shown in the past they will give a lot of time and they're willing to sacrifice tremendously for the work of the Lord. Friends, the most common and frequent way that God helps us to see the responsibility of these men in situations similar to theirs is that of a shepherd. Remember, shepherds are the ones that live out among the people. They're the ones that make themselves available. They don't mind their phone ringing. 
They don't mind having to be called out at certain times of the day or the evening. They don't mind meeting on a regular basis for hours. They're available to do the work of the Lord. That's what shepherds do. They make their life available. Someone says, that sure would get in the way of just your regular routine. You don't find a faithful elder that has a regular routine without interruptions. You also see in shepherds that they're committed. They're ready to give their life to the work of the Lord. You see them ready to give their time. Now, who is it that's going to be a person qualified for this? He tells us that it's a man that desires that work. That's right. Elders have to have a servant's heart. It's not about the power or the prestige or the honor that might come with it. It's about the servant's heart that puts on the towel and rolls up the sleeves and says, I love God and I love God's people. And if this is a way that I can work and serve God to better His kingdom, that's what I want to do. Now, the man that desires that desires a good work. Let me tell you real quickly what we're going to try to accomplish today and tonight. I believe it would only be fair as we study this text for us in just a moment to pause and to read also in Titus. So we see the other lists of qualifications. Many of them are duplicated. Also, we will look at some principles that are mentioned in 1 Peter. Then we'll look at one of four ways that we will categorize these qualifications. And we'll look at the other three ways that we'll categorize them tonight. Look with me, if you will, to Titus, the first chapter. In Titus, the first chapter, and the reason it's important for us to read these is so that we know before we submit anyone's name, we know what God is asking for as it pertains to His men. You know, I remember a few years ago when we asked for names for deacon, I was surprised at how many individuals submitted names of men that did not even have children. And that shows us that individuals didn't take the time to even read the Scriptures to see what God has to say on the matter before submitting a name. I beg you, don't turn in a name today. Study the passages this week. Pray about these passages this week. Ask for God's wisdom as you suggest names. We're not looking for a popularity contest here. We're looking to fulfill God's will in this. Here's some other things that God says a man has to have in his life in order to be qualified as an elder. Titus 1, and we'll begin in verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking there and appoint elders in every city as I command you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation and insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-control, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And really the next paragraph helps us to understand what he means about helping those that are teaching false doctrine or approaching them. Now, simply by way of some major principles that we need to understand, I'd like for you to look with me to 1 Peter the 5th chapter. 1 Peter the 5th chapter. We usually don't link these in as we talk 
uh, about the qualifications. But yet these are some principles that a man as an elder has to have in his life. And so we need to consider these as we think about who would be the, the individuals that would look over our souls. First Peter 5 and verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort. Now keep in mind, this is Peter writing. He says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, did you notice when we read, especially in 1 Timothy 3 and 1, and also in Titus 1, 5, and 6, did you notice words like, that the elder must be, or the man must be, or did you hear Titus? He was being told, Paul told Titus, that I command you. In other words, these are obviously qualifications. These are not suggestions. This is not just a story or a picture and, and God saying, just make sure that an individual looks kind of like this. Paul lays this out to say these are the things that a man must have. It's not that the group collectively has these things. It's that a man fulfills each one of these in their lives. The first one that we'll see here is we think about the character of a bishop. As we think about his character, the first thing that we see is that he must be blameless. Now, there are those that have really taken the idea of blameless and they've gone to the extreme that a person would literally have to be perfect. The truth is, with qualifications, we see the two extremes often, and what we need to do is try to avoid the extremes. There are some that make the qualification of the elders so extremely perfect that no one is qualified. And there are others that just take and dilute the qualifications so much that they're nothing more than mere suggestions. Friends, somewhere in the middle is God's plan... And let's try to find God's plan as we study through this. What does it mean for a man to be blameless? We know that a man can't be perfect, so that doesn't mean that he's never sinned in the past. It doesn't mean that you can't remember a time that he's made a mistake. As a matter of fact, you remember in Galatians 2 and 11, Paul says, I stood up before Peter's face and I, and I confronted him because he was to blame. Now, could Peter ever become an elder if at one time he had offended the Gentiles so much and acted so much against what Paul had tried to tear down of the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles? Yes, we just read together in 1 Peter the 5th chapter where he says late in his life, I'm now serving as an elder. So what's the point? The point is, blameless is that we can't bring a reproach to a man at this particular time he's actively involved in that sin. Friends, it's one thing to make a mistake. It's one thing to have a past history and repent of it. But it's another thing to have a life that is cleansed and that we do not have ongoing sins. Yes, a person is blameless if someone can say, look, I know this is their behavior. I know this is their lifestyle. I've seen them do this over and over. Now that individual is to be blamed. But blameless is one that his character is to live above that and is to be one that's not perfect. But they're trying their best and they're succeeding in living a righteous life. Notice the second thing they mentions in 1 Timothy 3 is temperate. 
The idea of temperance translated in, in the uh, King James as to be vigilant. It's the idea of watchful. If a man is not going to watch and have his eyes open of the dangers that would come into his personal life, it's going to be dangerous to have him as an elder because he's not going to have his eyes opened and to watch the dangers that might come into the life of the church. The third thing that we see listed is sober-minded. The idea of sober-minded is clear thinking. We want a man that has already proven in his individual life and the way he deals with his family and his friends that he's a clear thinker. He's one that has his mind open to the plans and the purposes that accomplish the most in life. Don't you think that the idea of vigilant and also sober-mindedness, clear thinking is somewhat what Jesus had in mind when he was working with the Samaritan woman? And you remember the apostles had gone into town and they'd received food and they brought back meal, but yet they had had their eyes closed to the opportunities to reach the Samaritans. And Jesus told them, I have my meat, I have my food, it's right here. And he realized they didn't understand the spiritual significance of what was happening. They weren't thinking clearly. Their eyes were not open. And it's in that setting that Jesus tells them to lift up your eyes and look, for the fields are widened to harvest. Friends, if a man can't have open eyes, if he can't understand the spiritual significance of serving God in his individual life, he's not qualified to be an elder because that's what elders have to do. They have to have vision. They have to have understanding of what is important in life. Be sober-minded, clear thinking, clear reasoning. Also, a good behavior. Orderly, mannerly, modest. Friends, if a man cannot be dignified and be a gentleman, he doesn't need to represent the Lord's church as one of her leaders. And so it is. It's important. It's important that the man know how to behave himself. Also hospitable. Now when you think about hospitality, that's a beautiful thought. Even though the word is not in the story of the Good Samaritan, doesn't that kind of paint a beautiful picture of the epitome of hospitality? One that through compassion would give of his time and of his resources to serve the needs of a stranger. To be able to take him in even though it was just taking him into a hotel room that night to care for him. My father is an elder. And a few weeks ago I was talking to him on the phone, just small talking. I said, Pop, what are you doing? I knew my mother was speaking at a ladies' day in the Northeast. And I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm cooking supper. I said, oh, okay. He says, yeah, I've got a missionary coming in. I've got to feed him tonight. I said, oh, so while Mama's out of town, you're hosting a missionary. He said, yeah, yeah. And he mentioned another guy from uh, Northwest, uh, John McMillan. He works with a Christian college in Canada. He said, yeah, I had him last couple of nights. I've been cooking him supper and breakfast each morning. And, uh, and I've got this missionary coming in. I've got to take care of him. And I said, wow, you're really turning into quite the host. He said, isn't that what the Bible says elders are supposed to be? Friends, I'm not suggesting to you that every elder has to be able to cook. But every elder has to have a heart that says, I'm here to serve the needs of people. That's what hospitality is. Hospitality is saying, I want to be able to help you. 
Do you need some food? Do you need someone to have care or compassion for you in a certain way at this time? If I can, that's what I want to do. It's the servant's heart. It's hospitality. Notice also gentleness. It's that discretion. It's that individual that would not demand his rights. Oftentimes, not only leaders, but as individuals, we're mistreated. As Christians, we don't demand someone to apologize to us. We don't demand that we be treated fairly. We're gentle. We learn to turn the other cheek. A man that hasn't learned to do that is not qualified to be an elder. Notice also from Titus, he says, lover of what is good. An elder does not come into the office for his pet projects or for his clique of friends. An elder is a man that loves all that's good. It doesn't have to be his favored mission work. If he's an elder, he loves all mission work. It doesn't have to be only the individuals of his age or individuals that he goes way back with. He loves all that is good. Notice also, just and holy. Living an upright life, separate from the world. And then finally, we see these characteristics, self-controlled. A man that's willing to take his life and place it in the hands of God and not let situations control him, not let the world control him, but allow God to control his life. Friends, all of the qualifications that we've studied so far on this list that's on your screen now, those are asked of every Christian in other texts in the Scriptures. That's a challenge for all of us. But as we consider this morning and we'll conclude tonight, let's make sure that we consider wisely and that we pray fervently and that God's will, God's will will be done as the Holy Spirit will make overseers in this place again. We love and appreciate the elders that we have now, others that have served here in the past, and how wonderful it is to enjoy unity and love. But the only way that can be done is when individually we submit to God. This morning, if you're not a Christian, why are you pulling against God? Why are you going in a different direction from His church? Wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to come home and to say to God, I want to be your child, and to say to a church family, I want to work with you, and to say to an eldership, I want you to care for my soul. I want you to look over me. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Or if you are a believer that's been baptized, but, but you've strayed away and you want to come home, if we can help you in any way, come.